You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. All right, let me pray as uh, we go into this morning's message. Father God, we, uh, it's your world, you know, as we were just praying your blessing in sending out the Browns to the next missionary adventure of their lives. It's a reminder to us that we are your people where you have placed us. And God, we, we pray this world is in a real fragile state. We just gave money to the Ukrainian people and we admire the tenacity with which they're defending their democratic freedom. Um, God, we pray for, for peace in this world. We pray that our sanity could be restored in this ridiculous war, this power grab and this land grab. And we ask that your peace would just prevail in all of it. And then this morning, God, we just ask, because I know I, I'm, I'm part of this story. We all come into this worship service distracted, saddened, heavy of heart, wondering what the future holds, not sure we've got the energy for what the future holds. And so, God, this morning I pray that your spirit would speak through me, weak as it is. Not the spirit's weak, me being weak. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think about this question with me as we get started this morning. And the question is, is this. When am I most open to God and to deeper conversations with God in your own personal life? When, are, when am I most open? Are you most open to God and the more revealing conversations about you when your life is running pretty smoothly? I mean, just, just for yourself right where you're at, think about how often, how frequently, and how intensely you actually hunger for God and how vulnerable you're willing to be with God when your marriage is fine, you know, your kids are fine, your grandkids are fine, your job, your friendships, your neighbors, your spiritual walk, your church are fine. How hungry are you normally for God? Or are you more open to God and the more revealing conversations about you and your life when your life has gone off the rails? I mean, just think about how often and how intensely you hunger for God and, and how vulnerable you are actually willing to become before God when your parent has Alzheimer's. Your spouse is legitimately ticked at you. Your kid has been diagnosed with something that has some weird name you've never heard of before. You have a secret sin, and it is no longer a secret. You lost a job. Your doctor wants to run tests. And hardly anything's fine. How do you hunger for God in those times? Listen to this observation. It's from one of the great minds about Christian spiritual formation from Dallas Willard, and I'll put it up on the screen. He writes this. Our failure to hear God's voice when we want to is due to the fact that we do not, in general, want to hear it. That we want it only when we think we need it. We want God's voice only when we think we need it. So let's be honest. We're not all that open to God 
We do not hear God. We do not enter into a deeper conversation that our souls need until we hit a wall where we realize, oh, I have need. See, here's the thing about our God that we've come to worship this morning. God longs for us with his whole heart, which is just an amazing sentence to say. God longs for us with his whole heart, and he wants to form you and me. It's more than just, did you check the yes, I said yes to Jesus box? And God's like, okay, cool. They checked that box. That's not, that's not the end of his longings. He longs to form you and I into the kinds of beings who can be with him and enjoy him forever. That's what his whole project is. And that means God continually wants to have formation conversations that go deeper and deeper to the depths of our souls in order to, for a lifetime, to make us people, creatures who are fit for heaven. That's God's project. But God, being the gentleman that he is, he's not going to force formation conversations on us that we're not ready to have. Therefore, we usually aren't willing to have these kinds of conversations until life goes off the rails. We've become broken in our lives, and we've arrived in a truly dark, dark night of the soul. So, though dark nights of the soul are really hard, and maybe, dare I say, terrifying for us, they also serve to crack open the eyes peel them open, they serve to unplug the clogged ears, and they serve to break open the heart to the God who longs for us with his whole heart and to the deeper formation conversation God's always willing to have, but we're usually not ready to have until we enter into brokenness and darkness. And so we're continuing this study for us in Lent, this study I can't even. Because for us at FCC, this year it's not going to be this deep introspection about our sin and all that. And there's a legitimate place for that. For us is to say, we've hit a time in human history and in our lives where we, get, we got nothing left and all we can say is, I got nothing. I, I, I can't even. And what we're doing is we're exploring how God tenderly met a burned out prophet, a man of God named Elijah, to see how did God meet with him, and how did God love him, and how did God renew him, because he was done. He was telling God, just kill me. So make sure you're ready to explore 1 Kings 19. Today we're going to start in verse 13 in a minute. But before we start there, here's, let's remember this. God is continuing through this part of the story we're reading, he is taking the conversation with his burned-out prophet further forward, deeper and deeper. Now, remember what Elijah's been through, right? What has Elijah been through? Right after he's had this great victory over great evil on Mount Carmel against 450 prophets of Baal and Asherah, and a great victory, but remember, this is how this works, right? After a great victory, he is spent mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, so spent that one threat from Queen Jezebel sends him on the run. And we'd spent some time to go, yeah, there's some encouragement in that to know that even great biblical heroes unravel 
I'm not alone. There's a normalization in realizing, yes, even heroes come unraveled. And then as Elijah's on the run, God met Elijah on the run, and he tenderly met the, his humanity. Have you noticed that in the story? God wants to have some deeper conversations, but before he does, he meets the needs of Elijah's humanity. By taking the conversation deeper later, God first provided to him space and provided to him food and drink and this familiar place on Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai, where Elijah knew that God originally had shown up for Moses. And so in that we see, yes, that even in the dark nights of the soul, somehow our God is providing something that is providing some way forward, some way out. Food, drink, space, rest. And then, as Elijah sat in the cave, and Tara did a fantastic job last week preaching on this, he's in the cave hoping that God's going to show up for him like God had showed up long ago in the history of Israel. For Moses, God shows up, but not in the spectacular wind that cracked the rocks. Not in an earthquake, not in the fire, but God spectacularly shows up in a gentle whisper. And yeah, Elijah discovered something new and just as spectacular about God. That God was quietly present with him in his dark night of the soul. And this is where God takes the conversation even deeper. It busts open. In the middle of verse 13, here's what we read. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram, and also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Ebel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet... I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So I want you to see something in the story here. This is the second time God does not rage at Elijah or sermonize Elijah. All of the things that we church people are expecting God to do when we sin or we, we blow it or we're weak or whatever, God, notice, he doesn't rage at him and he doesn't sermonize. God asks Elijah a probing question for the second time. God was a great therapist. What are you doing here? Just calm. What are you doing here, bud? Because God likes, when we're in these dark nights, he likes to ask questions that makes his kiddos think and makes them share their story with him as honestly as possible. Questions. And by the way, this is not a new thing for God in Scripture. You see it often in God. 
In fact, if you go to Genesis 3 this afternoon, you'd read God doing the exact same thing in the Garden of Eden. Right after Adam and Eve sinned and the atom bomb of sin went off and detonated, and the mushroom cloud went off in the Garden of Eden, and in the fallout of it, Adam and Eve suddenly, who had been walking with God through the garden and having a great time spending time with God, suddenly are just overwhelmed with pangs of fear about God, and they're trying to do everything they can, covering their skin, covering over and hiding to hide from God. And in that hiding, God comes along, and again, he doesn't rage at them, even though the atom bomb of sin just went off. He does not sermonize. What does God do? He asks them three questions. Question number one to both of them, God said, where are you? He asks that question to us a lot of times when we get lost in sin. Where are you? He came to Adam and he says, well, who told you that you were naked? Where'd you get that idea? Did you eat that tree that I said that's going to kill you? And to Eve, he asked the question, what is this that you've done? Another place where we see this happening is Jesus himself. We read in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. People will come up to Jesus and they will query him. They'll ask him a question. And you know what Jesus will often do if you read about it in the Gospels? Jesus often would respond by answering their question by asking a question. He does that a lot. God met Elijah with a question to help him think and to tell his story as honestly as he actually felt it. And God's probing repeated questions, because he asked that question twice, it gives Elijah the opportunity to describe his narrative to God. And for the second time, he repeats it almost word for word as he did, did earlier. He says to God, I've been, I've been working my heart out for you, God. And look at the net results. Lame. I'm a pastor. I've, I've prayed that prayer before. I've been working my heart out for you. And here's the net results. All of your people have turned from you. They have smashed down the legitimate places of worship. And they're assassinating all of the prophets who are actually telling them the truth. And so Elijah shares the hard struggles that have led, the real hard struggles that have led him into a very dark night in his soul. And he also adds this. I'm it. I'm the only dude left. He describes these feelings that he's absolutely convinced are true. These feelings of just overwhelming loneliness and desperation. And what I want you to notice in his narrative are some of the same threads of the things that we end up in when we're in dark nights. Notice this. He describes the story he's telling himself to God, telling himself, and now he puts it out there to God, and he does the same things that you and I do. Some of his story was actually true. The prophets were being assassinated. The altars were being torn down. There was some stuff that was Israel had turned from God. Some of his story was actually very untrue. Though he felt all alone and felt like he was the only one following God anymore, he actually wasn't alone. God gives Elijah a chance, this is what I call it, to cough up his furball. That's what I call it in my life when I'm like, get the story out into the daylight. He gives Elijah a chance. God will give you and me a chance to go, Bleh, get the furball out. And he coughs it up to bring the raging inner story into the light of day because daylight is antiseptic to narratives. To let the daylight, it could separate truth from untruth and reality from unreality. And then as he tells the story, God 
probably still in that whisper, speaks to Elijah's spirit. And God says, go back to where you came, from where you came from, and I want you to anoint two kings, and I want you to anoint one new prophet. Now, remember in this action item list that God gives him, remember that not too long before, we've already read in 1 Kings 19, that Elijah just recently told God, I'm done. Kill me. Take me out now. I'm done. That's how done I am. Because he's unraveled, and he is a human being who is literally hopeless. Well, God takes that guy, and he redirects Elijah to head back to the scene of his ministry, northern Israel. And God's list of action items was a tangible confirmation of something that God's people need when we become completely unraveled. And here's what it is. He realized in this list of action items, God was not done in his work, and God was not done in the part that he wanted his child to play in that work. Go back. I'm not done with you or the situation. And by the way, God also says to him, hey, by the way, my man, you're definitely not the only one. There are still 7,000 people who have not kissed Baal or bowed down to him who still are choosing to follow me, the God of above all gods. And God was saying to him, not only was God present with him, with Elijah, in the cave on Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, but there were other flesh and blood, other human beings, people who were still committed to following God. But in his narrative, he thought he was the only one. When our unraveling gets us in this place where it opens our eyes and it unplugs the ears and it breaks open the heart. We have a God who will find his own way of coming along and whispering this. I'm not done with you or your situation. And you're not alone. I'm not done with you or your situation. And you're not alone. In this season of human history, God gives you and I permission to say it like you feel it and you mean it. And this may be some homework for some of you going home today. Tell God your story like Elijah did. Tell it as you feel it. Tell it as you think it with all of the truth and the untruth packed inside of it. You don't have to be super Christian to go, oh, I have to edit out all the untruths first before I can talk to God. No, just say it like you're, you're actually feeling it for yourself. Bring your raging inner story into the light of day so that in the daylight of God's love and grace, he can help you separate truth and untruth and reality and unreality. That's how it works. And when we do that, God will find his own unique way in each of our lives to somehow renew your spirit with the whisper. The whisper that will say, I'm not done with you. You might think your sin, you might think your mistake, your frayed nerves, your triggered state that you're in, your desire that God puts you out of your, mis- your, your own misery, or maybe that he should put you out of your misery. You want him to be done. You might think those are the things that says he's done, but God is going to remind you that he's never, ever done with you. 
He'll never stop pursuing you, ever. God will also whisper, I'm not done with your situation. It might look like God does not care. And you've prayed a lot of prayers, and response has been zero for zero. It may look like he doesn't care. It may look like he's hidden. It may look like he's unfair. He's silent. He has no intention of doing anything. But God will somehow remind you he's not done. There's still more story to be told. He's still working. He will find a way. He has a way of bringing praise out of your mouth to glorify him for how he came through for you. And the story may not turn out the way that on this side of it right now, you think you want it to turn out, but somehow this God is going to have a way to have praise come out of your mouth. He's not done. He'll come along and also whisper to you, you're not alone. God has shown up to provide for your humanity in this dark night for you. He's given you space. He's giving you a place where you can relay your head, food, drink, and his spirit who is probing you with good questions as you're in this space right now to help you think and to help you try to own your story. And God has given you some people in your life, maybe not as many as you would like, and maybe not exactly the people that you would personally prefer or whatever that is, but he has actually given a community to you to support you. Just like Elijah didn't think there was anybody, God said, no, buddy, there's 7,000. You're surrounded by a community. Heck, I'll just even tell you, Alita and I watched recently a documentary called The Work. Wouldn't recommend you watch it with your kids, but it is a, it is a documentary about inmates, lifers in Folsom Prison because they shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. And they're at Folsom Prison, and they are there doing the work. You're watching in this documentary these prison inmates doing this deep emotional healing in group therapy sessions. And in it, one of the inmates says this, why can't we be enough for each other? As in, why can't we prisoners who are all we've got, we we don't get to pick this, this is where we're at, for the rest of our days, Why can't we be the community that connects and encourages us? And in that, they're seeing what the Holy Spirit wants you and I to know, what God wants to whisper to us. You're never alone, even in prison. You're not alone. Can you, in this fog of war, the fog of life, loosen your lips and own your story as honestly as you feel it and mean it? People, a faith community church, members of this church, You have two more months. The elders are setting aside $400 for you to go meet with a counselor and to deal with the things that you know the Holy Spirit's been going, Andy keeps saying this, Andy keeps saying this, Andy keeps saying this, time to do it. Please reach out to an elder and take advantage of this because it ends in May. Got two more months. Time to loosen your lips and see a counselor. Time to open your ears. Listen intently for God's renewing message of hope. Now, there's something we can do with this knowledge. There's a couple of, I want you to look back at the text. There's a couple of really practical insights 
that we can gain from God's simple list of action items to Elijah. Insights, I think, at least personally, I think that can be helpful. Here's where they are. God says to Elijah, go back into your ministry work. Go back. And I want you to anoint Hazael as the next king over Aram, which is modern Syria, which is right next door to northern Israel. And they were absolute pests to northern Israel. So anoint Aram. And then I want you to anoint Jehu as the next king over Israel to take over from pathetic King Ahab. And what God's saying is, I want you to lighten this heavy burden that you have felt of transforming Israel all by yourself by letting go and handing up authority to a new king who will further my work. That that will be his job, not yours. And then God said, I want you to go back into your ministry work, and I want you to now anoint Elisha to take over your ministry. I want you to lighten the heavy burden that you have carried as, carried as my prophet by letting go and handing over the heavy prophetic burden to someone who can build more fully on the foundation that you've already laid. Do you see what God's doing here? God is unburdening Elijah of his heavy burdens as God wasn't done in his work in Israel and God wasn't done in the work that he wanted to do through Elijah. When God comes into your life in the dark night and he reminds you through his whisper, I'm not done with you or this situation and you're not alone, it will follow that often we will need to do this. We will need to hand up and hand over what is no longer mine to carry. Hand up and hand over. The deeper conversation with God that God brings us into when we're in those sort of dark nights of the soul, while it clarifies that God's not done with us and it's not done with the situation, it also clarifies what is no longer my responsibility to carry anymore. It could be responsibilities that were legitimately ours to carry for a while up until we hit the wall and entered the dark night that they were legitimately that was something that God wanted us to carry but then following this dark night he doesn't want us to have to carry that anymore it also could be these are responsibilities that weren't ever a lot of times this is what this is they weren't ever ours to carry but we were carrying them anyway because, well, we were trying to little, live a little as if we were God and we were the ones who were in control. It could also be a little bit of both, laying down these things that are not ours to carry. So my questions to you this morning would be, what can you hand up? Maybe better, what, what should you hand up to God where you're at? Laying aside all of the flailing that we all do right flailing to grab levers where's a lever can I pull a lever somewhere to control and learn instead to take all that emotional energy and use it in casting our cares upon him hand it up to God how can we hand these responsibilities up to other authorities to kind of Get back on track with reality that this burden that you're carrying, it's not your responsibility. It's not to solve by yourself. That responsibility has actually been given to your parent. That responsibility has been given to your pastor, to the elders of this church. 
to a city council, governor, president, and it makes no difference for us as believers whether you like them or not. Hand that up. That's their responsibility. Pray for them. What can you hand over? What should you hand over? What can you or should you be handing over to others? They can help you as you're going through this time. What can you hand over to others who, once you get over your pride, can do better than you? They'll take it and build something beautiful on top of the foundation that you laid. The encouraging and renewing work God does in our lives when he takes the conversation deeper, it always has the potential to result in God moving a little closer to the center of our lives, the center of everything, and somehow us being a little less, living a little less like we're the ones who are in charge. And that's always a good thing. I'm going to invite Rodney and Carrie to come on up. And as they get set to lead us in some more musical worship, let me, there's a scene. It's in the Gospel of, of John where Jesus is teaching this big crowd of followers. I'll put it in big air quotes, followers. Because um, he's just performed the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. And this big crowd of followers have chased him down across the Sea of Galilee, hoping that if they find him again, they can enjoy another delicious and spectacular happy meal from Jesus. I mean, that's literally what the text tells us. They're chasing him for another spectacular meal. But Jesus says, well, let's have a conversation. He takes the conversation deeper to teach them that more than needing to consume another happy meal that he renders spectacularly, what they really need is to gobble up and can fully consume the bread of life, the bread of heaven. And then Jesus says, and by the way, I'm going to make this very clear. I'm claiming to be that bread of heaven. And the followers who chased him around the Sea of Galilee for a happy meal start to grumble. Like, what, 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 huh? You're saying that God's going to provide the bread of heaven and you're saying that you're it? Come on. Then Jesus drops this bomb on them. Here's what Jesus says. Look, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will completely miss out on God's indestructible life. What? It's in their Bible. You can read it. Jesus, the Son of God, starts to sound like he's talking about cannibalism and drinking blood. Like, what? The Son of God does not act in the way people want him to act or think he should act. A lot like how we think about God sometimes. And because of that, the crowd divides. A lot of the Happy Meal crowd immediately turn around and walk off this thinking, this guy's absolute bonker nuts. I might have been in that crowd. But then Jesus looks over at this core 12. They're still standing there. And probably the look on their, their face is like, but they're still standing there. They're still standing there. They're just as alarmed as the people who took off. They're just as puzzled and curious. Of, is, is Jesus nuts? 
And then Jesus asked him, remember, Jesus is good at asking questions. He says, are you going to leave too? But here's what they say to Jesus. Lord, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. When God doesn't act in the way we want him to act or, or think the way we think he should act, and we've unraveled and we are still unrescued by him, it is those of us who are still standing around and keep looking at God in the haze of the darkness and saying, where else can I go? If you're one of them, I want to tell you something. Those are the people who are going to enter into the experience of the deeper rivers of the indestructible life of God. This tough time, this dark night is really, really hard. And yet it is an opportunity for God to take you into some deeper conversations where God's going to whisper, I'm not done with you or this situation. You're not alone. And God will likely encourage us to hand up and hand over those burdens that aren't ours to have to carry anymore. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the tenderness that we see in your work with Elijah and the tenderness that you have so many times provided to us in our own brokenness. God, I want to pray a blessing over your people. I know so many of the stories, most of the stories here, from the smallest degree of most of us just feeling so spent from two years of difficulty in a world facing a pandemic, to those of us all the way down to the most extreme, difficult, dark, dark places. I pray that, God, they can hear you and your spirit even now whispering, I'm here. Your story's not done. Lord, may we be a people who don't walk away. We just, we just say, I don't get what's happening. I don't get what you're doing, but where else am I going to go? May you form that in us and in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org. Thank you.